Now Chris has prepared our reading for us, our readings taken from Psalm 77, so please find your Bibles, turn to that part, the Psalms is right in the centre of your Bibles, find Psalm 77, which is right towards the centre of the Psalms, and you'll find this passage, and, and uh, uh, Chris is going to read it to us now. Over to you, Chris. The reading today is Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untying hands and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. For what God is so great as God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and withered. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heart in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, through your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thank you, Chris, for reading to us that scripture, Psalm 77. And I wonder just how many times you've tossed and turned at night, unable to sleep, because your mind is running over and over the things that are going wrong at this very moment in your life. Your life's in crisis, and this crisis prevents you from even finding some comfort beneath the duvet, some peace in losing consciousness. If that is you, then Psalm 77 is for you. It's a psalm that encourages us to do something about our worries. We need to get them out. We need a good friend who will listen, perhaps a close relative who we can open up with and let it out in front of. But who wants to hear your problems at 2.30 in the morning? The writer of Psalm, 60, uh, psalm 77 begins his song with this. He writes in verse 1, I cried out to God 
for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Asaph, the writer of this psalm, has learnt that it's okay to simply bear his soul to God, to let it all out before God, to cry to him in his frustration, in his rage, in his sorrow. But is that right? Can you and I go before the creator of the universe and simply tell him how we feel right now, even at half past two, half past three in the morning? Isn't that just a little naive? Won't he have other people to think about, other concerns as he runs this universe? He must be so busy running this planet. He hasn't got time to listen to our problems or to my problems. Asaph believed that it was not just okay to do so, but it was a vital tonic to do so. And it eventually helped him to get back to sleep. What's more, it's something that we see Jesus doing in the Bible, in the New Testament. On the night of Jesus' greatest sorrow, his greatest crisis, when he's about to be betrayed and abandoned by his disciples, when everyone's going to run off and leave him to his arresters, when he's going to go through several trials before he's hung up on a cross, on that very night, his night of his greatest trial, that's when we see Jesus crying out to God, bringing his crisis before God himself. We read in in Matthew 26, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus is saying, father, take it from me. If possible, take this, this direction, take this situation from me. Both Jesus and Asaph knew that God is a God who listens to our cries of frustration. He listens to our shouts of rage and to our sobs of sorrow. And so the first thing we note in this psalm, in Psalm 77, is just that. He is crying. He is crying. He writes in verse 2, When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and would not be comforted. Asaph cannot sleep. He is too troubled, too disturbed to sleep, for sleep to wash over him. And so he tosses and turns on damp sheets. Literally, in the Hebrew language, that verse can be translated, I lay sweating and nothing would call me. How often have you lay on damp, damp sheets, having tossed and turned and still your mind frogs with what worries you? And so Asaph eventually bans the idea of a sleep and he gets up to shout at God. But initially he finds no comfort in crying to God because he's too distressed and upset. He's like Jacob in the Old Testament, weeping at the news that his son Joseph is dead. We are told in Genesis 37, all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. Perhaps you too have been troubled, so troubled by and distressed by situations in your life that you refuse to be comforted. Nothing will stop you weeping and mourning. Well, Psalm 77 is the answer, it's the tonic. Take those concerns to God, pour out your heart 
to him. Tell God how you feel. Let it out. Don't pretend with God. God knows our mind. He knows words that are on our, our, our tongue before we even speak them. We can't pretend with God. Be real with God. So he cries out to God and you can imagine the questions. Why God? Why me? Why this pain? Why this suffering? Why? 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 He writes in verse 4, you kept my eyes from closing. Literally in the Hebrew language, the, the expression is, the guards of my eyes will not shut. It's a wonderful, unique picture to this psalm uh, of our eyelids being guards that protect our eyes. But these guards won't shut, won't shut the eyes. They remain keeping the eyes open. So he cannot shut his eyes. But not only can he not shut his eyes, he cannot open his mouth. Verse 4 says, I was too troubled to speak, which means that he cannot put into words his pain and suffering. What he's going through is beyond words. He can't articulate how he really feels. Have you been like that? You can't shut your eyes and yet you can't describe what's going on and how you feel. He's trapped deep inside. You can't seem to let it out. Psalm 77 is the sleep tonic, the pain diffuser. Asaph is telling us quite simply, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. And this is the first stage of dealing with grief and suffering. Take it to the one who cares. Pour it out to God, day or night. Cry out to him and don't just toss and turn in bed. Tell God how you feel. The problem is, as Asaph starts off here, is he's too angry with God. And so we see not just his cries, we see his concerns. His concerns. Asaph begins to voice his concerns and the questions he has for God. And he asks God six questions, six questions you can find here. Six questions that he demands of the Almighty. Why? Because he feels, first of all, rejected. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? If he was unloved. Verse 8. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? He feels abandoned. Has his promise failed for all time? He feels forgotten by God. Verse 9. Has God forgotten to be merciful? And his final question, his sixth question is that he feels of no interest to God. Verse 9, has he in anger withheld his compassion? He feels abandoned and rejected. Six times Asaph asks questions about God's plan and God's apparent absence during his suffering. But, it's not just, but these are not just questions. They are rhetorical in nature. He knows the answer. Asaph feels able to ask these questions because he already knows the answer. The answer to each one of these questions is no. Of course not. Asaph is not rejected. He's not unloved. He's not abandoned. He's not forgotten. He's not of no interest to God. Even his question contains the answer to his own question. He speaks in verse 8 of God's unfailing love. Has God unfailing love failed? Well, no, it hasn't because God's love is unfailing. It cannot fail. Nasef's questioning of God is part of the answer of dealing with sleeplessness and pain. Having the confidence to come before God with your feeling, 
knowing that God will listen. He is there when you cry out whatever time of day or night. What's the point of shouting at God if he's not there to listen? The fact Asaph brings his pain to God is because he knows God will listen to his cries. And God will listen to our cries too. You see, sometimes our feelings and our emotions may be true to us, but they're not factually true. You can at times feel very unloved when in fact you are. It's like the sun shining above the clouds. We may think when we can't see the sun that the sun doesn't exist anymore, but the sun isn't shining. But of course, above the clouds, the sun is shining. You may feel unwarm. You may not believe that the sun is shining, but it is. It's just at that very moment you can't see it shining. And you can't feel its rays upon your skin. So what should Asaph do now? He's cried out to God. He's told God his emotional state and got that off his chest with his six questions. He's told God that he feels abandoned, unloved and forgotten. He's cleared the air, but he's still in crisis. He's still down. And so now he moves from his concerns to his contemplations. That's the final thing we see in this prayer of Psalm 77. We see his contemplation. Asaph writes in verse 10, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Lord Most High stretched out his hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your mighty deeds of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate upon your mighty deeds. Verses 10 to 12 are the turning point in this psalm. When Asaph says, I will change the mood music. I will not remain down and rejected, fearful and angry. I will start to move on to trust God again. And he does this by reminding himself of the God he is talking to. In verse 13, he writes, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? He says that God is holy, which is a theological way of saying that God is totally different. He's totally pure. There's no evil in him, no moral corruption, no wickedness. The Bible sums up God in 1 John 4 verse 8, where it says, speaks of God in three words. It says in 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. This means you can trust God. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah verse, chapter 29 and verse 11, where God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Listen to that promise again. Jeremiah 21 verse, 29 verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plans to give you a hope for the future. Our God is different. He plans the best for you if only you will trust him and trust him with your life. The word holy, when it speaks of God, is saying God is different to us. So often when we don't trust God, it's because we transpose upon him, we project upon him human emotions. We think because I can be uh, double-minded, God is double-minded. Because I can be unreliable, God is unreliable. Because I'm not always loyal, God isn't always loyal. We project upon God our failures and our inabilities. And God is holy, he's different. There's that wonderful passage 
in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, where God says, For my faults are not your faults, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God is holy, he is different to us. So if you're worried about God because you project upon him human frailty and human intemperance and human inability to be loyal and to, and, and to stay, stay the course, forget all that. God is different to us. He made us, but he is different to us. When he says he loves you, that love is not pure love. That is an undying love. Moses writes in Exodus 15, verse 11, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, work in wonders? God is awesome. He is not like humans. He cannot be owned or bought. So Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, God mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, who accepts no bribes. Asaph pushes out the worry in his mind. He leaves no room for the negative by filling his mind with truth and with light. This is an active change of focus. Those of you who know me know that I'm a very big biker. I've been biking since I was the age of 13. Love motorbikes. And uh, Fiona and I, for the first five years of our marriage, all we had, in fact, was a motorbike. And we used to ride up and down from Fiona's, from our home in Glasgow, all the way down to my family home in Kent. And um, on a bike, as indeed in a car, but particularly on a bike, one of the big causes of accidents is what's called target fixation. It's when you see a problem on the road, a car pulls out or, or a dog runs out in the middle of the road and you focus on the problem and not on the solution. It means you look at it to such a degree that you, the bike you're riding on will follow the direction of your, where you're looking. So if you look at a dog that's standing in the middle of the road, you will hit that dog. If a car's pulled out and you look at the car, you will hit the car. And I'm an advanced motorcyclist and one of the things we learned quite early on in, 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 in that motorcycle course is to look beyond the problem, to not fix your eyes upon the problem, but to fix your eyes upon the solution, to look for the way through, to look for the open road. And it was a, um, a couple of years ago now that Fiona and I, we just come back from Germany, uh, been posted back to the UK, where I was a senior chaplain in Scotland, and we were road testing a big 1200 motorbike down in the borders of Scotland, so I was on an unfamiliar bike, on unfamiliar roads, and it was my fault, I came into a, a, a very, very small village on a, on, a, on a fast road, suddenly hit this village, and, um, and the, the speed signs have been washed out by the sun. And I came to, it's only a very, very small village, um, very quickly, and suddenly realized, so it began to slow down very quickly. And suddenly, I, I, it wasn't a very long village at all, came into this village and suddenly realized the whole village was dissected by a huge A road, a very fast road, and tra uh, there was traffic going from the left and from the right. And I hadn't seen it, it was my fault. And so I came, to, I came through this, this village, suddenly saw this stop sign, and realized I couldn't stop, I was going far too fast. And I had a car coming in from my left-hand side, a car coming from my right-hand side. If I tried to brake, I would end up stopping right in the middle of that road and cause an accident. And so the only thing for me to do was, in fact, to accelerate through that junction, which is what I planned to do. But as I looked for the junction, the junction was staggered. Um, and in the middle of that junction, there was an island. And that was a problem because it was right in my line of riding and I was accelerating to go faster. And it was right in the way I was going to travel. And so what I did was not to look at the problem, I looked at the solution, the open road ahead. And so I went past that island at speed and I felt it brush in my knee. It was that close. Um, but I missed it because I didn't focus on the problem. I focused on the solution. 
Target fixation is a big problem for us as people. We focus on the problem. We look so much at the problem. What happens is we hit the problem because we're not looking anywhere else. We hit the thing we focus on. And we need to focus on the solution. And this psalm is all about focusing on the solution. To look beyond the problem. To fix our eyes not on the problem, but on the solution. And Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way. He is the way out. He is the solution. We need to fix our eyes upon him. And so Asaph writes in verse 14, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. He begins to focus on God, to look at God. He remembers that God is a saving God, the one who led his people out of Egypt in verses 15 to 20. But he's a shepherd God who cares for his flock. He writes in verse 20, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He realized that God is a caring shepherd. God's a redeemer in verse 15. God is a saviour. One who wants to relieve us and redeem us and to save us from our difficulties. People, don't fix your eyes upon this crisis. Don't flood your minds with the endless negative narrative of the BBC, the radio and the internet. Look away to the solution and not the problem. Push out the negative by focusing upon the positive. The God who loves you and wants the best for you and for yours, if only you follow his path and trust him. He is a God who carries us, us in times of trouble. And this is the way we can sleep during times of trouble. Not because we ignore the problem, but we focus on God who is bigger than our problems. David writes in Psalm 3 verse 5, I lie down to sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. God sustains us if we allow him to. In fact, this psalm ends with a beautiful verse that was inspiration of a famous poem. And Asaph writes in verse 19 these words. He says, you led, sorry, your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. God's footprints were not seen, but God was still leading his people. God was with his people all the way through their trial and distress and brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus. But they couldn't see his footprints in the sand. It looked like they were walking alone, but they're not. God was walking with them. In fact, he was carrying them. It's that, like that famous poem, Footsteps in the, in the Sand. One night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand one belonging to me and one to my Lord. When the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints. I realised that this was at the lowest and saddest time of my life. This always bothered me and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. 
but I'm aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there is only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why, when I need you most, you leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. God is carrying you too. Don't doubt him and fill your minds with the endless narrative of the press. They specialise in bad news, that's their bread and butter. God specialises in good news. And his son is, in fact, the gospel. His good news for you and his good news for me. Let's look to him and be comforted.